Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Hawks executive Arthur Trish. Do you not have privileges with the rookies? You can't make them take care of that? You think I'm going to tell Ivan Johnson something? Are you crazy? I value my life. With your host, Gallagher Anderson. Stops it now behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Uh-huh. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Back with you on the Hangtime podcast. My cohort, partner in crime, and uh, all-around renaissance man himself, Lang Whitaker in New York. Hello, hello. My man, what's going on? Um, getting ready for the playoffs. Playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Herm. <laughs> now, I mean, it, it's, it's weird being this close to Isn't the... It? The you know, like what do we got eight? Most teams have what eight, eight nine games left, I guess. Yeah, there's like less than two weeks of the season left. This is preposterous. Yeah, uh, you know, and there's all sorts of drama. Obviously, um, you know, the favorites, some of the favorites are, are struggling right now. The Heat, Thunder, you know, losing games now that they weren't really dropping early in the year, so people are freaking out. And panicking, uh, I think prematurely, in you know, in most respects. Then you have some other teams laying um, that are, are really playing well now. The Grizzlies, even though they lost to the Spurs last night, um, playing well. Uh, you know, the the Spurs obviously have played really well here the mm-hmm. past few weeks. Uh, the Lakers, you know, seeing a nice surge, even with Kobe on the bench resting. Um, who who are you looking at now and and wondering what these last two weeks mean for them? Um, whether it's a, a team that's already locked into the playoffs or a team still trying to fight and get in. You know, who I, I watched the other night and I, I was impressed with them is um, Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the way they on offense, especially the way they were moving the ball, moving around. Um, they were just a fun team to watch. They're all working really hard. Um, you know, they're not the most talented team, but right. uh, I, I'm wondering if they're one of those teams that in the playoffs could surprise somebody, kind of yeah. like we saw last year with uh, Memphis coming in there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was a team that jumped out at me the other day. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I I got this itchy feeling that yeah. uh, this is going to be old man ball, these playoffs. Like, I, I got a feeling the Spurs, you know, uh, the, you know the Celtics, some of these older teams, right? That that everybody kind of assumed might not 
be in a position to, to make a lot of noise, you know, in this postseason, I'm going I'm to have their say. Um, and, you know, people felt that way last year, I think, about the Spurs, you know, the way they played in the regular season. Then they got in the playoffs and got popped. And uh, it was one of those things where you don't you don't you don't ever know exactly how it's you know how it's going to play out in the postseason because it's a completely different season. You, you mentioned a second ago. You said people are kind of worried about some of these teams right now: um, Miami, Oklahoma City. And you said you thought it might be a little premature. Yeah. Um, do you think it's premature? Yeah, I do. Um, only because you know we afford. We've always afforded the the teams that were c- true contenders that that I think we all felt are true contenders. You give them, you know, you give them the benefit of the doubt when they have a hiccup or two here there. Um, right. But you don't write it. You know, we don't write them off when they're uh, struggling like that. But uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's worth getting too crazy about right now. Um, I don't know, man. You 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 nervous? <laughs> I don't know if I'd say nervous, but you know, I mean, Miami's five and five in their last ten. Right. Um, that's not really, I think, where you want to be rolling into the playoffs. Right. Um, Oklahoma City, six and four. Um, you know, with Miami, the thing that worries me with them is just having, you know, at the beginning of the season, they're playing a different kind of basketball than they played at the beginning of the season. Right. And at the beginning of the season was when they were so dominant. Right. Um, they're a lot slower now. Norris Cole's like out of the rotation now. LeBron's right. playing point guard again. <laughs> You know what I mean? They're they're kind of doing what they did last season, right? Um, well, maybe that'll work. I don't know, but I, I don't know. It's it, it's interesting to me that they've they had something that was working really well for them at the beginning of the year, and they've kind of gone away from that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're still forty and seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm not ready to, you know, to call nine one one anything. But uh, what? Listen, this that that brings me brings up a great point and. Uh, and brings us to our first guest uh, on this episode of the Hangtime Podcast. Uh, our favorite professor, Paul Flannery, uh, covers the Celtics for WEEI.com, and he's a journalism professor at Boston University. Um, you guys have probably seen him on Twitter and, and P. Flans, at P. Flans, and, and seen uh, some of his stuff, obviously, in, in magazines and stuff. Paul, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I think I'm the only professor you guys know. No, no, no. Yeah, listen. <laughs> You are our favorite professor. We have said it time and again, and we, we will uh, swear it until he also, we die. Paul also gives really good Boston travel tips if you have questions. <laughs> exactly. I hit him up a couple of weeks ago. He's good with those. Yeah, uh, right. yeah I'm the Boston concierge for anyone who needs it. <laughs> hey, you've seen the Celtics, obviously, up close and personal since the All-Star break. What – who flipped the switch up there? I mean, what, what changed and, and turned them back into the Celtics of – of 2009 all of a sudden again. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on right now, and mm-hmm. most of them are good. Some of them are lucky. You know, um, the big thing is Garnett, Kevin Garnett. Moving him to center just changed the whole complexion of the team. And he hates it. He doesn't like being called the center. Right. You know, Garnett is so – you guys you guys know Garnett. He's, he, <laughs> he wants things the way he wants them, and he'd rather be a four and all this kind of stuff. But what it did was just open up the floor because now they have two big men shooters with him and Brandon Bass. Mm-hmm. That was huge. And, you know, Kevin has played terrific defense. He doesn't, you know, look, he had a really tough time against Andrew Bynum. He doesn't like playing against those big guys, but there aren't that many of them. And so defensively, the other night, I mean, he guarded Josh Smith and Brandon Bass guarded Zaza Pachulia. So those two are working really well. That's the big thing. But the, the lucky things have been Avery Bradley 
Nobody yeah. knew that Avery Bradley was going to do what he's doing right now. He's been sensational. And then a guy like Greg Steamsma wasn't even in the rotation. Right. And then, you know, Chris Wilcox, unfortunately, had his heart issues, he, and Steamsma gets a chance, and all of a sudden, you know, he's a 20 to 24-minute-a-night backup center. Nobody knew that was going to happen. <laughs> so there's a lot of good things happening, but, you know, the, the Garnett thing is huge. Rondo's playing out of his mind. And then, you know, no one ever talks about Paul Pierce, but he's just been rolling right along. Yeah, you know, one of the to me the thing that jumps out is Bradley. Um, you know, and I was wondering if you know, you said it was kind of lucky like he comes out of nowhere. Where, where did he come from and and how did he kind of find this role for himself? It's it's a really great story. Like I mean, you know, Avery last year he had no training camp. He had no summer league cuz he had an ankle injury. And he was lost last year. He's, you know, he's a young kid. This is an old, this is a veteran team, old man team. And you know, he he really had a hard time last season. And then this mm-hmm. year the first thing that happened was when Rondo got hurt early in the year, Avery took over the point guard job, and you know, it, we're, no one's going to confuse him with Magic out there, but he, he handled the job. He did it really well. That gained him a lot of confidence. And then playing off the ball, though, has just been a revelation because what they told him is, look, cut to the basket. Rondo will find you, Garnett will find you, and he can score inside. The Celtics don't have an, an athlete like him. They haven't had him for a, a guy like that for years. Right. So that's done a really good job. And then defensively, he always had the confidence to be a great defensive player, and he's mm-hmm. just been he's been sensational. Paul, I've I've been kind of um, on this you know Rondo's late season MVP streak, and I and I know you don't necessarily think. Um, He's a legitimate, you know, necessi- you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the right word to use, but you don't think he should be mentioned in the MVP conversation. Um, Realistic. How about that? Okay, really. <laughs> but I figure, you know, if the list is if, – if my list is 10 deep, mm-hmm. Rondo belongs in my 10-man in my, in my group, does he not? I, you know, that's that's a that's a good question. I mean, I haven't I haven't gone ten deep on this because I, you know, when I'm thinking about the MVP, I'm thinking about LeBron or Durant. Right. You know, I don't go much further than that. Right. To be honest with you. Um, and to me, Garnett is still the team MVP, but mm-hmm. but Rondo, you know, he's got this assist streak going, which is great. It's fun. Staggering. You know, it's a lot. Of, it's, it is staggering. 19, I mean, and, it hadn't happened since John Stockton. Yeah. You know, come yeah. on. And the thing that's great about it is, is that Rondo's not a numbers guy necessarily, mm-hmm. but he's got he's he's got in his head. All right, let me get those ten assists. And what that does is it kind of you know, with Rondo, the the one bad tendency he sometimes has is he kind of lets the games happen sometimes instead of asserting himself. And with this streak going, you know, he's asserting himself right from the beginning. Right. And then all these other good things are happening. So he he's locked in right now, and he's getting all these, he's getting tons of assists because guys are making shots. We all know that, but at the same time, he's finding guys and and he's directing traffic out there. And Doc always says he says I never look at Rondo's numbers. I always uh, I know if he plays well by how our team is playing, and there's a lot to that. So the numbers are are what they are. They're they're great. They're fun and everything else. But he hasn't. He's been really consistent, which is not a word that we usually tend to use with Rondo and it's, he's been consistent you know basically since the all-star break you can, you said you kind of glossed over it. you said to you Kevin Garnett's the MVP of this team why, why is KG the MVP or I guess of this team yeah <laughs> yeah I mean d- defensively defensively yeah. because I mean 
the reason they're winning games right now is they're playing out of their minds defensively. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Like if you look at the if you look at the plus minus numbers and points right. per possession and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is this is ridiculous what they're doing right now. And Garnett is really the captain of all that. Like you watch him. I, sometimes I just like to watch him play, you know, defense off the ball for like four or five possessions just to see what he's doing, the yeah. angles he takes, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you could put it on a highlight loop for young kids, how to play, how to play post-defense. It's amazing. And so he's, he, everything flows from that, you know. He's the only guy who can really get on the boards. They've done a better job on the boards lately, but they get killed on the boards every single night. He's really the only guy. And, you know, his, his, he has also, what he's also done, they've asked him to shoot the ball, and that's not something he really likes to do. And yeah. he's doing it. He's taking 15 to 20 shots a night. Paul, are, are you surprised that Garnett has been able to find his game at this stage of his career? I mean, it, he's, you know, he's a lot like Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, guys who have played, you know, in, in upwards of 14, 15 years in the league. And then they got this mileage on their bodies this, that, it's even longer than that, you know, when you consider the long playoff runs, specifically in the past few years for Garnett. Are, are you at all surprised that he's been able to find kind of this second wind, if you will, and in, in, in play at this level, at, at this late stage of his career? A little bit. I mean, listen, nothing Garnett does surprises me. Mm-hmm. I've got... I've got so much respect for that guy. I haven't been around him for the last four or five years. and kind of makes me, you know, sad that I missed out on his, on his true prime in Minnesota in yeah. terms of covering it. Um, but, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you remember last year in the playoffs, he, he, he destroyed Bosch in game three. He, just, he was awesome. Yeah. I, and I, I think I wrote at the time it was his signature game, signature playoff game as a Celtic was that game three against Miami. And then he, he just couldn't do it the next couple nights. Mm. He didn't have the legs. So what's surprising to me is that he's been able to do it night after night, and especially with the schedule, with the back-to-backs and everything else. He's, he's only missed, I think it's, he's only missed one game because of injury this whole mm. season. Yes. That's the most surprising thing to me. And So, yeah, on, on some level I'm surprised he's able to do it every single night, but I'm never surprised that Kevin Garnett can still play at a high level, you know? You know, and we right before you came on, Seku and I were talking about the playoffs, and Seku predicted we're going to see some old man ball in these playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, do you think the way the Celtics play, you know, knowing that the the playoffs pace usually slows down a little bit, so you see a lot more half-court stuff, are the Celtics a team that's, that's sort of built for the postseason in, in that way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the one big problem they have is they, don't, they have a really tough time with Chicago. Yeah, and, and right now they're sitting on Chicago's side of the bracket, especially after last night. I mean, I think it's pretty much guaranteed, and that's going to be really, really difficult for them because Chicago pretty much does what they do, and they're and they're younger and deeper. Right, you know? and right. so that's going to be really tough for them. But sure, yeah, if you look at if you look at the East, there's you know there's no team out there they can't beat and no team they can't lose to. <laughs> so, <laughs> if the planets are aligned, I mean, I think they could probably handle the Knicks. I think they're pretty they're pretty well situated against the Knicks and Philly at this point. But um, yeah, so I think I think they 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 do set up pretty well for the for the postseason. And as you know, Doc's been talking about all year long. There aren't that. Yeah, you know, I think there's a back to back somewhere in the second round this year. But there aren't back to backs. There aren't four and yeah. five nights. And and I think that sets up really well for them. Yeah, Paul, what do you think about the job Doc Rivers is doing? And, and I often wax about this on, on on the blog about Doc being the best coach for his team in the league, like in in terms of the specific personnel he has and the way he's able to connect and get them to play certain ways and, and get guys who might not do a thing somewhere else to play a certain way. And I look at Chris Wilcox as a perfect example. Um, 
Wilcox, you know, the the three or four years before he showed up on the Celtics roster, I guarantee you people forgot he was in the league. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He played so sporadically. Then you watch him with the Celtics, and he's, you know, he's catching alley-oops from Rondo and doing all this stuff. I mean, what is it about Doc that allows him to to have that kind of connection with his team? And do you think he he's a guy who should be mentioned in that in that first breath of coaches in the league? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I actually wrote about it today on our site. The thing, the thing that he does, you know, people call him a player's coach, mm-hmm. right. and, and he and he is, but but that that's not what they think they mean when they call him a player's coach. He's a player's coach because the players trust him, right. and he puts them in a position to succeed. So when he says to Kevin Garnett, "I need you to play center," Garnett says, "Well, I don't want to do that." But he also, and he he said this. He said, "Doc's never gonna he's never gonna lead me down a wrong path." Mm-hmm. He's always going to put me in a position to succeed, so I'll go along with this even though I don't like it. I mean, do you guys honestly think Ray Allen is psyched coming off the bench? Yeah, no. absolutely not, yeah. He's not, but at the same time, he's not going to make waves, and he's going to say, all right, this is, this is what's best for the team, and I trust Doc that he's not doing this you know, maliciously or whatever, that this is, this is for what's, what's best for the team. He's a great coach for this team because these guys – these guys are grimy. These guys are these guys are pros. They've been around. They've seen what it's like to be on teams that weren't as organized and weren't as well coached. And they say, "All right, you know, I'm going to sacrifice my scoring here because this is going to help us win games." I don't know if Doc is a great coach for 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 a young team necessarily. Right. I, I think he's better than people give him credit for. But for this team, absolutely. When you come to the Celtics, you've got you've got two choices. You can do it Doc's way, or you can go somewhere else. <laughs> and so, yeah. He's a player's coach. The other thing he does, and this is the thing that people don't really understand, he treats that Keon Doing, was, I talked to him the other day, he was great with this. He said, you know, Doc treats us like, like men. Mm-hmm. And so if we need to stay an extra day in a city to see our family, he says, okay. You know, if it, he gives them control of the locker room. He, you know, he treats them like grown-ups. He doesn't, he doesn't get all hung up on all little things. And, and so in that sense, he's a, he's a terrific player's coach. And he's the kind of coach that a guy who's been in the league for six or eight years and maybe he's had a, a difficult situation somewhere else is appreciative of yeah. when, he comes, when he comes there. Yeah. No, that, make, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, the, the first-round matchups – uh, are going to be what they are. Um, but who do you think is the ideal matchup for the Celtics in terms of if they're trying to make a, an extended playoff run this year with this group, which it has to, you know, obviously it has to be the last time in this incarnation they're going to be together and be playing at this level. What What is the path for the Celtics to maybe make their deepest run, do you think? Is it is it avoiding Chicago or Miami in that potential, you know, next round series? I've, I've thought all along that Chicago presents the toughest problems for them, and, and it's crazy to say because Miami is obviously so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no fear of playing Miami. They right. really don't. Now, yeah, that they, doesn't mean they're going to win. <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, right. They got blown out last year in the playoffs, if you want to think about it. Four, you know, they lost, they lost one, five yeah. games. But, yeah, to me, Chicago's the one. And, and I think, you know, uh, Doc went off on them last week and when they lost to Chicago, which I was kind of – surprised by because it was the second night of a back-to-back they lost by seven they were in the game but he just he just went off on them called them the cool celtics and (laughs) questioned whether they were tough enough to beat chicago which by the way did not go over all that well with the players (laughs) but there's a method to that which is if you're going to play chicago you got to bring it you got to be tougher than they are and you can't coast on being the celtics so that's the one i think to avoid but you know that first round it's looking like it's either going to be atlanta or orlando yeah Every time they play Atlanta, it's a close game. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I was thinking about that this morning. I think for right now, without Al Horford, it totally changes things. You know, when, when they had Horford, I thought, um, you know, what was it, two years ago, they swept the Celtics during the regular mm-hmm. season. But, you know, without Horford, I think those matchups are different and, and – that that you know the rebounding edge that Atlanta would have, um, any defensive kind of presence they would have in the paint besides Josh, without Al, it's negated. And I don't know if Al's going to be back or not for the playoffs. So it it might you know maybe getting to Atlanta for Boston would would actually work out better for them in the first round. I, I think it probably would. And I mean you know people up here are saying, oh wow, well you know Orlando's uh, Orlando's got all these chemistry issues and Dwight Howard's got a bad back and yeah yeah let's play the magic let's play the magic and I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you want Garnett button heads with Dwight Howard for six or seven games in the first round. I don't know if that would be such a good idea. Yeah. So you're right. Without Al, without I, you know what? I give Atlanta a lot of credit. I give Larry Drew a lot of credit, Josh Smith and those guys for hanging in there this year. Because without without Al, you know that's a, that's a big piece to be missing. But no, yeah. I think I think that that would probably be the preferable matchup. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll tell you this from a fan perspective and having been there uh, for that last playoff series between the Hawks and uh, Celtics. I would love to see these two yeah. hook up again in the, in a in a playoff series. I think I think both sides felt like they had a few more punches they felt like throwing in that one. And I mean that figuratively least, of course. At least but, at least uh, Zaza may have. <laughs> Zaza may have a headbutt or two he'd like to dish out. But uh I think so. I think you know for for the the forty, what is it? Forty games and forty nights drama, that playoff drama. You couldn't ask for a better first round, yeah. You know, series than than Hawks and Celtics. And I think from watching the game the other night and watching how those players, it's gone from being like a, a true like nastiness and disdain for each other to like some healthy respect in the fact that hey, you know, we wouldn't mind doing this one more time, knowing that I don't think either team will look the same next year to be honest with you for for different reasons but i i think that'd be another i'd be a nice series to watch i i, I agree with you and you know i mean garnett and zaza may not have a <laughs> healthy respect for each other um but no i think i think you're right and you know i think it's it's you know you look at a guy like joe johnson who was here in boston for a while and you know, I don't think he left under the best of circumstances, and those guys have a lot of respect for him now at this point. And you know, Rondo would be kind of interesting. Those, those are two of the fastest guys in the league, and so that's that. I think I think you're right. I think that would be that would be a fun, competitive, hard nosed, grinded out series. Yeah, Paul Flannery, the professor, <laughs> hang times professor. You, you're the guy. We appreciate it, man, and uh, enjoy the rest of this regular season. Hopefully, we'll see you down the road in the playoffs. All right, thanks, thanks, guys. Anytime. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, Paul. Pa- Paul Flannery, weei. dot com, and uh, the professor at Boston University. Join us. Talk a little NBA, a little Celtics, a little Boston. Um, I, you know, I didn't start thinking about matchups laying until you know yesterday, and I started kind of going over my head. I right, well, you know, right. because it's been so hard to predict who you know in the East. It's like. Three through eight, you don't know who's going to land where. So it's, you know, um, and then you look in the West and in that bottom half, everybody and their mother is scared, you know, scared to death to <laughs> seeing the Grizzlies and, you know, if Houston or Phoenix or who's going to make it. And it's kind of like, you know, what will those matchups look like? Uh, I'm looking forward to some chaos, personally. I, I like chaos in the playoffs. No, I do. I, I remember back to the Golden State uh, series, you know, yeah. when – Baron dunked on Karolinko. I mean, just 
I like that kind of playoff atmosphere in that first round where you're scared that, you know, a favorite might get knocked out. Um, somebody who barely got in, like the Hawks were talking about, you know, somebody who everybody says backs into the playoffs and then they they play the Celtic Sox off for six games and, you know, mm-hmm. end up giving them the toughest road, you know, the toughest path they had to the championship. That was the year we did the slam for the playoff covers. We uh, <laughs> we, we were going to do Shaq and the Heat. And then we thought, well, you know what? We're just going to hedge our bets. We'll also do Dirk in the West. <laughs> and Miami and Dallas lost in the first round that year, <laughs> right before the issue came out. Nothing like so, crack planning, baby, by the slam staff. So you never know what's going to happen in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, you know, very, very uh, enticing batch of games headed our way in the playoffs. But Lane, our, our next guest was was kind enough to to roll into the studio here um and we and we've been meaning to have him on here for a while uh Lamont Callaway of nba.com does our uh does our dunk ladder um you might have seen I know you know what it is Lang it's it's the you know yep. the, the constantly updated highlight package of dunks and uh ranking them you know who goes up, who goes down based on who got dunked on. Uh, <laughs> and, Lamont, I know, I know we snatched you out. Of, you got a busy schedule, so we appreciate you coming down here and hanging out with us. Not a problem. But uh, Lamont is also uh, one of Chi-Town's finest, so he's, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> So he, he is definitely feeling feeling good this morning after watching his Bulls, uh, you know, and and I mean I don't mean Derrick Rose and the Bulls I mean the rest of the Bulls. It's my my bench mob. <laughs> take bench the mob, uh, take the heat apart last night on yeah. TNT. So before we talk about the dunk ladder, let's talk a little bit about this Bulls team. And I I wrote something the other day just saying that I I felt like it's you know everybody in Chicago is probably a little restless with Derrick Rose not 100 percent healthy and you're going into the playoffs thinking we couldn't beat the the Heat last year with Rose at full strength. And now we got him, you know, walking around wounded. Is that causing sleepless nights? Then I watched the game last night, and C.J. Watson is tucking the city and, you know, <laughs> tucking him in at night and getting him warm cookies and milk. So, I mean, what what's the feeling right now for, for Bulls fans and supporters and, and, and people from Chicago who are watching this and thinking they can really win this thing with, with the bench mob playing the way they are? Or is it do you have to have Rose back at 100%? Well, getting back to your your original question about, you know, are people kind of really restless about D. Rose? Is mm-hmm. he going to play? Is he healthy? What's his rhythm like? What's his rhythm like with Rip? I mean, you I think you have different factions of people that are that are that fall into that restless category. People are like, all right, come on now. You missed 20 some odd games. <laughs> right. You got to get it going. Then you have others, you know, I, I will be admitted that I'm probably one of the ones that's not <laughs> too worried. I mean, yeah, he played a, a terrible game last night. Right. You missed twenty some odd games. You know you want to add this one to it. Yeah, that's right. even though he played, it wasn't like he played for real. So yeah, you're gonna be a little rusty. And I I, I, I count a lot of that to you know not having a lot of practice time, not being able to uh, get up and down with with your teammates. And I mean, you know, last night it showed. So you have you have you have those different groups, but at the same time, you know, the bench comes through. I mean, they've gotten. You talk about Derrick Rose not having any rhythm. Right. C.J. Watson, Ronnie Brewer. I mean, those guys have done a lot of time playing with the starters. So yeah. they have the rhythm. They have the, the you know, they're, they're clicking right now. Yeah. And, I, I also think, like, the 
talking about the bench, um, I was talking to someone this morning, and they pointed out that Asik and Gibson might be two of the best bigs off the bench for any team, um, at least rotation guys, you know, that can come in. And, and there, there's not much of a drop-off when those guys come in. Um, I think you saw it last night. Yeah. That you know, and and the way Thibodeau uses that bench, you know, there's like if Watson's playing well, he plays. He's going to play. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and last night, you know, there's times I've seen where Asic plays and Noah sits, um, depending on who's playing well. The the other thing I was, you know, Watson played so well last night, I actually looked up his contract because I was <laughs> I was like, what, what is this guy like? He they've got him under they've got a team option for next season, but the year after that, um, he's a free agent. And I was, you know, I, I think this guy's like kind of come to the forefront the last couple of weeks. I mean, not only him, but Taj Gibson. I mean, I yeah. just had a conversation uh, not too long ago with a couple of buddies, and, you know, are the Bulls going to be able to keep Taj Gibson? I mean, people are saying around the league with the you know, there being so many mediocre teams or teams that could really use some kind of a boost, he could be a starter. Right. So are we going to be able to hold on to him? And I personally think Taj is one of the guys that's like, I'm not worried about the money this, the money that. I mean, he's in a nice situation in Chicago. They're winning. They're, they're going to win, you know, right. fingers crossed, you know. And uh, I think he's more or less about, you know, team concepts. And I think, you know, he'll he'll be able to stick around. The Bulls will be able to hang on to him. And that's what we're going to need. I mean, that we're hanging our hat on having depth. Right. A lot of teams say they have it. Obviously, our bench mob, our, I need to stop that, <laughs> but our bench mob shows it, you yeah, know. And, yeah. I mean. It's, it's laying in, and I didn't thought about this to just not laying, but. I'm I'm curious how you feel about it as well, Lamont. If you were a, if you were a, a, somebody who's a Bulls fan, and you know that not just people in Chicago, there are all these Bulls fans that were created, you know, during the Jordan era, right? From all over the place. Um, if you had to envision a way the Bulls would rise again, so to speak, like the way they would come back into power and and become a, a contender, a championship contender in the NBA, right? You know, you had the Elton Brand experiment, you know, and you had the Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry. I mean, you've had all these different m- modes you tried to go into if you're the Bulls. Ron Mercer. Oh, man, let's not go. You know, Jamal Crawford, just all these different ways yeah. where you thought this was the rebuilding plan that was going to get us back to this point. To see it now with, you know, obviously Rose being a hometown kid. Um, I know everybody loves that part of the story. But did you envision it being this kind of collective effort with a bunch of guys who, like you said, are role players, no real superstars outside of Derrick Rose. Like, would you have rather had it this way or would you have rather seen it where you tried to duplicate, you know, which I think is what was going on earlier. They were trying to find two that, anchor superstars, yeah. like, you know, what they had been used to, to carry them. Would you rather see it this way or would you, would you rather have seen them try and really duplicate the same formula they used, you know, when they got – got Jordan and Pippen and, and won it like that well the way the we the way the league is right now I mean a lot of the the superstars you know you got a lot of the <laughs> Hollywood as heck personalities <laughs> that you know don't really rub a lot of Chicago people the mm-hmm. right way so I think mm-hmm. the format that we're going with right now and it's working you know and a lot of that goes to to, to, to Thibodeau right. and how he's you know balancing everything and bringing everything together I'm more in favor of this one right now because you know Who's to say if we had LeBron that he wouldn't be around there dancing on the sidelines? Right. Who's to say if we had Kobe Bryant, if we traded him a couple of years ago, you think he would still be happy right now when if he still had to deal with, you know, playing with Ben Gordon and stuff like that back right. in, a couple of years right. ago, he probably would be still just as mad. Right. So you never know. So I'm in, I'm in favor of what's going on right now. I mean, like I said, 
it's working. It's, it's working <laughs> it seemed, for it. It seems to me that now, the way they did it now, I mean, yes, they got Derrick Rose, and that brings up the argument that, you know, Derrick Rose is going to win no matter what team he's on, no matter who he's playing. But it seems now that they kind of went, instead of trying to find superstars, they found a, a system that works. Yeah. You know, they found a superstar coach in yeah, a way. That's, yeah, that's what yeah. I was getting ready to say. You know, and and then so they got this system in place, and now you find guys that work in that system, kind of like the way the Spurs do. Um, and to me, that also kind of you know calls back to to Taj Gibson leaving or C.J. Watson leaving or whatever. When you have such clearly defined roles for guys to play, I think it's easier to fill those holes if they do leave. Um, you know, and, and in that way. If you do lose a guy like that, it might not be as hard as it would be to replace, you know, just if you're the looking for a, yeah, if you're yeah. looking for a two or something, you know, mm-hmm. but instead now it's a little easier and more defined of what you're looking for, I think. Yeah. And I, and I raised that question because in a, in a time when teams have been really quick to jettison whatever plan, you know, whatever plan or blueprint they had for what they thought might get them there faster. You know what I mean? We've seen it. Yeah. We've seen teams say, you know, we got a chance to build this way. Mm, let's let's go for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The Bulls have resisted the urge to really make splashes. Like Rip Hamilton was not necessarily the the the, the piece everybody assumed would they would they would get to fill that two guard spot. I, I know I was lobbying with you and Kevin Cottrell, our, our researcher at NBA TV, who's also from Chicago. I was going hard at y'all about the Bulls needing to bring Jamal Crawford back. They went with Rip because... Which I was in favor of. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm saying, like, maybe there's something about the... the and, and this is... I don't mean this as an insult to to the Bulls, but, I mean, maybe there's something about the blue-collar work ethic of Tom Thibodeau in, in, the, in the organization that tells them, let's push back on the flash a little bit and find guys who we think fit, like you said, like our system more so than... Yeah. An ideal we that that people might have about how a player should perform at that specific position because I'm telling you when C.J. Watson put that move on D. Wade last night and hit that step back three I was laughing to myself thinking who does C.J. Watson think he is and like and I'm saying that to myself <laughs> as the ball is going in there and he hit it and I was like oh that's who C.J. Watson thinks you know like I mean sometimes I think you get both when you're when you're a role player in a in a really good system it bolsters your confidence in your game. And allows you to play at a level that's obviously higher than what people mm-hmm. would ascribe to you. And and I look at the Spurs, and when I'm flipping channels earlier this season, and Danny Green is taking game-winning shots, mm-hmm. and I'm saying this is the dude who used to be LeBron's dance partner in Cleveland, never got off the bench, and under Popovich he can play crunch time minutes. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. It's it's a weird thing in the league where. You guys have seen it, you know, where you remember when the culture was strictly like you had to, it was a prerequisite. You have to have these anchor superstars to try and compete. And I'm wondering are we going away from that a little bit now after the you see the Heat experiment last year and it didn't pan out. Dallas beat them with Dirk and a bunch of role players who really fit the culture and system of that team. You think we might be inching that yeah. were, I think that remains to be seen. I mean, we still mm-hmm. got two big names this summer who could potentially still team up in Dwight Howard and Dar- Darren Williams. Right, so, I mean, right. I mean, I won't necessarily say that teams are going to start moving away from that. But once all of these marquee names, all of these Olympic-type names are signed away, you're going to have nothing left but to go ahead and try to do this this mm-hmm. uh, team by committee 
type of, a, of a approach. Win by it, like win with a team. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and also like you know, like, I, I think it was Da. Who, it might have been Chris Mannix or Da. One of them brought this up on the beat this mm-hmm. week on NBA TV. We were talking about the Spurs. And they brought up how the look at the center position for the Spurs right now. I mean, they have three completely different types of players that they use. You know, Dewan yeah. Blair, Thiago Splitter, and then Matt Bonner. You right. know, like one guy only shoots right by the rim, one guy shoots threes, and then another guy's more <laughs> of a predictable type guy. But it's three totally different types of guys, and they manage to get the most out of all of those guys and win with all those guys. And those are guys that you don't have to pay a premium for and that are easier to find, you know, and if you can have those kind of guys, if you can get something out of those kind of guys, that's what you're looking for. I think as far as putting a team together in that yeah. sense, you know, you, you don't need superstars. You just need guys who can be productive. And I think you buy into those roles and, and, you know, are willing to play those roles. You ask them. I, I remember years ago, I was doing a story for some, and I was talking to RC Buford, the Spurs GM about that. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how, like at the time they, they'd gotten, um, Roshon Osterovich to play mm-hmm. center. And, you know, other teams had given up on that guy, couldn't figure out how to use him, but they knew he was really good at defending right at the rim. And that right. was exactly what they were looking for was a guy who could defend right at the rim. And sure enough, he comes in and that, you know, fits perfectly with what they're trying to do. So if you can find those guys and you have those roles defined, you know, then I, I think that's a way to build a team. Now, that said, you got to have a system that works and a coach right. that the guys like. You know, it's a lot harder than it is to to just say it. But I do think that's a way to do it where you don't have to go out and bank everything on signing one superstar or two superstars. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting uh, change of pace for a lot of teams. And I mean, we we talk superstars all the time, and Lamont's uh, Lamont's day gig includes updating. Uh, the dunk ladder on NBA.com, which, you know, I'm a I'm a dunk fiend. I, I'm still, I mean, even at, after all these years of watching the NBA, I still jump, you know, or scream when I, you know, like, oh, you know, when somebody goes off and dunks on somebody. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a frequent visitor to uh, NBA.com's dunk ladder. Are we, are we making too much of these, these Blake Griffin dunks? And I know you wrote about it recently on the dunk ladder. Are, are people making too much about, the showboating and uh, him, you know, climbing over people. I mean, are we getting too caught up in all this stuff about Blake Griffin, or is that just the nature of the beast when when you're doing what he does? I think it's the nature of the beast. I mean, at the same, you know, you, when you look at what he's doing, it's no regard for human life, as, as your boy <laughs> said. And, and at the end of the day, you don't want to be on the other side of that. Right. So, I mean, a lot of times people are trying to take both sides. Okay, man, he's booming on people, right. but – Perkins, ooh, yeah. you know, you don't want to be in that shot. So, so people, so people are trying to find. Okay, I guess they're trying to find the, the back, the backstory of it all. Okay, right. let's try to let's try to help these guys out because it's got to be something going on. It's, this guy can't dunk on everybody all the time like this. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, they're, they're you know, I, I got emails, people telling me, watch his left arm. Yeah, yeah, watch and see what he does. And I'm like, okay, I've seen him do it a couple of times. I mean, obviously the Mozgov. Right. That's you. You can't grab the back of a man's head. Like right, that's, right, just, that's right. just completely disrespectful on a lot of different <laughs> levels that we, that we won't we, even we won't get into. But we talked about on, on the beat this week. Da and I argued which was the best Blake Griffin dunk of all time. Mm-hmm. I picked the Mozgov. He picked the one over Perkins because he said, you know, Perkins is a shot blocker. Right. Um, that he's good at doing. So yeah. uh, what, what's your what's your pick, Lamont? Well, last year going off the dunk ladder, one of my the. 
the, actually, the Mozgov wasn't all that high, and we had that discussion last year uh-huh, about yeah, touching yeah. the rim. So that was the reason with that one. One of my favorite ones was last year on the break, the spin Being off of Gallinari. Off of Gallinari. Yeah, that was, that was the same game as the, the Mozgov. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was nice. It was tough, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these latest he's he's had two recently that have drawn a lot of attention and got people fired up. The uh, the two um, assault batteries on Paul Gasol <laughs> of the Lakers, where he just yeah, I mean he just I mean you can't do that in most states without getting pulled over. He he assaulted the man on one of them, like just climbed his back, didn't and I and I contend he didn't knock Gasol down when he was going up. He just went over him. He jumped over him. He, he timed it a lot better. Yeah, and uh, and then the other one where he just you know did the the, the donkey ride on him and yeah knocked him down and cracked him in the side of the face. But Debo, my thing is it. My thing about Blake Griffin is this, and I thought I thought about this last night when D Wade was scoring ten straight points uh, in that Bulls Heat game and nobody touched like he was slashing and going and nobody knocked him down. I thought about something Rick. I heard Rick Mahorn say one time about you don't have to worry about a guy getting off on you if you're knocking him down, like if you're putting him on his behind. Mm-hmm. And I know Jason Smith got in trouble for it, and I'm not by no means condoning the lick he put on Blake Griffin on that fast break uh, a few weeks ago. But isn't there something to be said for if you don't want to be on these posters and you don't want to be a part of these highlight packages, if you don't want to be featured on the dunk ladder for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> at some point you're going to have to, like, Take a hard foul, uh, and that's. And I think that's where, in some way, shape, or form, the league may have to try to to look into that because there's going to come a point. I mean, there's, it's already starting to to, to bubble now with yeah. the Marcus Cousins comments. Right. I I can't think that he's the only one around the league that's thinking like this. Yeah. Now he had the the gumption to come up and say something about it, but outside of that, you got to think that there are other people like you know what he's not doing that on me. <laughs> now who that person may be, I don't know. Cause, I right. mean. I think that's better. easier said than done, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like yeah. you get in the heat of that battle, and it's like... Well, you turn around and Blake's yeah, yeah. five behind the air, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> smile for the camera then. Because I'm going to tell you somebody else who I think is is on his path to dunk, you know, he's going to be a, a dunk ladder staple here, is Kenneth Fareed in Denver. Like, yeah. in his haven't been really on people so much. They've been some, you know, where he's going up and really showing off some some hops that you might not have realized he had. But the more he plays and the more he's in games and, you know, in the thick of these games, he's not going back back down or shy away from trying to go up and finish the way he does. And sooner or later, somebody's going to be trying to challenge him. So that means you run into another situation where you have a guy. I don't care what anybody says. I've said for years, I would rather see a dunk on somebody contest than just a dunk contest. Because I think <laughs> – yeah. I think dunking on somebody in traffic to me is a hundred times more entertaining than anything a guy can do on a on a naked floor. Just you know, you won't even take the shot for the jump. So you think somebody's gonna sit there and allow themselves (laughs) to be subject of getting dunked on for the national All Star Weekend television (laughs) audience? Oh yeah, come dunk on me. It's all. Go ahead. I'm just saying. I I would love to see. I I would love to see Kenneth Fareed get into the mix, though. Because I, you know, you're right, Lang. It's 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 much, it's much tougher to to combat that when you like Pagasaw when you don't see him coming. It's like the punch you don't see coming in boxing. You know, you can't prepare for that knockout punch when they catch you. You know, and you don't see it. Blake is catching people both ways. Like 
he got Ibaka the other night in that Wednesday yeah. night in that Clippers uh, Thunder game. And Serge Ibaka is arguably the best shot blocker in the league right now. Right. And he had no Who chance. Who was on the dunk ladder, by the way, getting dunked on by Jace Move. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so right. It, it happens. Yeah, but, I mean, literally no chance to defend himself. Like, yeah. And he did get a, he did block one of Blake's. I don't know yeah, if it was a dunk attempt, but, but it was a shot attempt. But that's the that's the hazard of being a good shot blocker is you're going to get dunked on a lot too. Right. I mean, he's gotten blocked. I mean, you remember Tumbo used to get dunked on all the time. Yeah. Dwight Howard gets dunked on. It happens. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I don't have a problem with it. And I, and I think you know when, I remember when Alonzo Mourning got dunked on by Vince Carter, <laughs> and Vince kind of like bodied him. You know, he like leaned into him real funky, cocked it back, and cocked it back and, after the and, contact, and yeah. boomed along on Alonzo and like. The beautiful thing about Alonzo Mourning is I've never seen him take it and, like, it's never like he his feelings are hurt. Like, you know, when Perkins got dunked in this year, it became this big mess. Yeah. You know, and people asking the Thunder, like, what do you think about Perkins dunked on Like, what, do you, what are they supposed to think? I want to I, I want to see people go after Blake in yeah. terms of trying to block his dunk. I don't want to see him just foul him for the sake of fouling him. I want to see people try and go up and, and block his shot and keep him from dunking. But, but in the flow of a game, not just to be – Dropping higher fouls is what I was trying to say. Now, if he if he continues, and we're talking about Blake here now, I mean, if he continues to go this way and they're not calling it, well, let's say let's put it this way. Let's say they start calling the Offensive fouls. fouls yeah. yeah. Does that does that does he does he calm down on 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 pretty much what's, what what what's become his game? Right. Or does he continue to do what he does and say, you know what, leave it up to the ref. They may call it a defensive foul. Right. They may call it offensive foul, but I'm going to do my thing. Do you see him trying to change up his game? I don't think he would change. I mean, that's the way he's played since he was, you know, at Oklahoma. That, the thing th- to me that's that's more more than that would be that might cause him to, to rethink a little more than anything is his free throw shooting. He's been not good. He's shooting 52% this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and if a guy is going to get a lot of contact and shoot a lot of free throws, then um, – you would think he, that's the thing that to me that that really jumps out at me that as far as Blake's game needing to improve or needing to change, that's where he needs to put in a little work. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember and Lang, I think you might remember this too. You remember the year Josh Smith won a slam dunk contest, and then the next year he came back, and everybody was his whole thing was well, he's a dunker, and he got it into his head like, I don't want to just be known as a dunker. And I I I wrote a story about it where I talked to him about it like the year. The next year, I think All-Star was in Houston the next year, and he went and participated in the slam dunk contest, didn't win it. And he wasn't even phased by not winning. He was kind of like, I'm glad I didn't win it. He, you know, he was kind of like, I don't want people just assuming all I do is dunk. And I'm wondering when Blake will get to the point in his game where he's, where he doesn't want to be necessarily pigeonholed as just a dunker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, Lamont, who else? I mean, we spend so much time talking about Blake Griffin on the dunk ladder who else has been there all year that we are not that you know that people are not really focusing on and not paying attention to um i won't say we're not paying attention to him because he got some all-star much weekend. attention to yeah he got some all-star weekend attention and that's paul george right to me he slipped through a lot of cracks and he's had some some outstanding dunks mm-hmm. one of the guys oh gerald green yeah yeah i yeah. mean the alley-oop is what's really gotten him back onto the onto right. the map but he's got a steady flow of other bangers since then that it's like okay yeah he's out here don't don't overlook him right um KD is starting to step up yeah he's had a you know he has had a lot of nice dunks in traffic now I think about it Ori Hibbert 
<laughs> Watch yourself, big man. Yeah. Watch yourself. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm Andre Dre Dollar. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that one had that nice windmill the other day. And I've I've got the one that's or up there. Women. The one that's up there right now. It may not be one of the most fanciest dunks you've ever seen, but I'll tell you why it's up there for me. You don't see too many people taking off from the dotted circle, right? Flying through the air, taking some kind of contact. I mean, it was graceful. So it may not be one of the most sports centery, mm-hmm. you know, game timey. We're gonna remember this one for the rest of the season. It may not have been that, but I gave it a lot of credit because it's from where he took off from, right? And he and he con- continuously is jumping from from the <laughs> from backcourt. You know, that's what it seems like. He he can right. fly. He can fly. Yeah. He can fly. And he, I, I gotta put him up there. Yeah, I gotta put him up there. It's funny that we're not even talking about the NBA slam dunk champion. I was, yeah. I mean, who was that again? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's cold. You gonna do Jeremy Evans like that? Thought that was his name. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know what, Lang? Can you remember a slam dunk champ who got less of a bump? Yeah, from you know after winning. Like I remember one of the years Nate won. He can you know, he had a couple of games during the season where he just went off like you know, he had a forty forty point game, I think, against the Hawks one time. When he came right out of that dance yeah. doghouse. Yeah. yeah. So I mean like I mean and and we play you know, Lamont was playing around obviously about Jeremy Evans. But you know, if you don't play a, a central role on the team, you know, outside of whatever you did during All Star Weekend, it's hard for people to really connect the dots, but like I haven't seen Jeremy Evans in a commercial or nah. any kind of, you know, no kind of highlight. Yeah, I mean, no kind of bump out of out of winning that contest during the All Star Week. Well, he doesn't get enough minutes to even do anything, really. You yeah. know, I think that. I mean, even sometimes the other guys would win a contest and they might not, you know, or be in the contest, and you might see him in the end of a game and make top ten highlights or whatever. But he, like, I think he's played in two games this month for for utah so he doesn't even get a chance to really do anything so would you guys suggest just like we have an all-star ballot a dunk contest ballot you know that'd be that'd be one way of doing it another thing we had another another question that we we posed to the fans these sprite guys right right they put on they put on a show now heck of a show yeah do we want to incorporate maybe the winner of that competition into the dunk contest against these pro guys? I mean, just to add some kind of flavor to it that's obviously missing from the dunk contest. I I, I think I told Sacred this before, but a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in, we went on vacation and we were in um, Paris for, for New Year's and they had the, they just happened to have the French League's All-Star game yeah. weekend while I was there. So I, a friend of mine was a writer there and he got me a credential, so I went. And they had a dunk contest, but there were no players from the league actually in their dunk contest. It was just, it was open to anyone who wanted to get into it. Um, and so it was basically, you know, it was kind of like an and one dunk contest thing. There were just guys. Um, it was just, you know, there, there was a couple of guys who toured around and dunk. I can't remember the name of the kid who won, but he, he, he actually ended up coming over here and doing some of those dunk contest things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was pretty exciting. You know, there was guys trying things you won't see the NBA players try and doing different kind of crazy things because all they're good at is dunking. They can't shoot jump shots. They can't <laughs> defend. They can do it. All they can do is dunk, but they can do those dunks really, really well. So to me, that was pretty, uh, it was an interesting way to see it. And, you know, it was a little bit more uh, flashy and, and exciting than it probably would have been. It had been players from the league actually out there doing it, you know. I think one of the problems that would, or one of the things that would inhibit it, 
you know, in, in an NBA atmosphere, Lang, is that the people who show up for All-Star Saturday night, it's a stargazer's night. You know, like they want to see. Right. And, we, you know, you become so accustomed to players in the league. Even So even when there's a, a relatively obscure group like we had this year in terms of, you know, n- not every household, you know, NBA household knows who Jeremy Evans is or they're not as familiar with Paul George as we are. You know what I mean? They don't. Right. right. I think that was one of the, the, the issues they had to deal with. You know, a lot of people were stunned when Chase Budinger, Budinger was, you know, was in the in the field and I'm and of course I'm saying I'm laughing saying I watched him play in high school one time I know he's got crazy hops but if you're an average fan or if you're just a casual fan who shows up for all-star weekend and don't you know you don't watch the league night in and night out that would have been a surprising to you and b maybe a bit deflating if you expected to show up and see Blake Griffin jump over a car you know what I mean yeah you got to see Kevin Hart and Diddy I think that's how they've tried to add a little star yeah, power. Yeah. Because instead of Dominique and Jordan, yeah. you know, you get Jeremy Evans and, and Paul George or whoever, but it's not it's not high wattage. Yeah, see, and to me, we got to get – everybody has to get over this idea of, well, you know, I, I want it to be like it was when, when Nick and Jordan went at it or this, that, and the other. Listen, we can't go back, you know. We, got, we have what we have, and we got to try and hope and pray that, you know, rivalries are born out of the organic stuff that that rivalry was born out of. That was just two dudes who happened to come along at the same time who had the kind of confidence and skill and and style to turn a dunk contest into, you know, a legendary event. And I don't think you can plan for those is what I'm saying. I think those, those things either happen or they don't. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, en- enough uh, – Chitter chatter about slam dunk contest. We got to get Lamont out of here and let him get back to work. And we got to we got to get out of here, folks, and make sure we enjoy this uh, nice second. What is this? The second to the last weekend of the regular season before the playoffs kick up? Yeah, go crazy? a week, two Thursdays from yesterday. Oh, wow, the last man. day. I cannot believe. Can't believe it's that soon. Uh, I'm ready for it. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get these playoffs started and see what's going to happen. So uh, thank our guests. Paul Flannery, WEEI.com, and a professor at Boston University came on earlier, talked with us, hung out with us a little bit, talked Celtics, you know, playoffs, NBA. Lamont Calloway from NBA.com's Dunk Ladder, the man himself showed up here in the studio. I'm Sekou Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com, Lang Whitaker, my partner in New York. Uh, and Lang, we didn't hear we didn't hear the bell at all. By the way, on Starberry today, what's happening? You got Starberry <laughs> in the cage. What's going on? I took her. Uh, I took her uh, thing off. So <laughs> not gonna hear it. All right. And and our our man is in there behind the glass, Lang. He's 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 feeling good. Gerald Gerald Wall is in there feeling. I think he's got a Peyton Manning T-shirt on, some kind of Under Armour outfit. It's all body tight and everything, man. He's he's feeling his oats <laughs> all of a sudden. Uh, but we'll be back next week. And uh, we appreciate you joining us, hanging out with us here on the Hangtime Podcast. We'll see you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with them. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do.